I'd like you to turn with me over to John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. And, and as you make your way there, I'd like you to think with me for a minute about the, about the phrase, until Jesus comes. Until Jesus comes. Uh, I have heard that phrase a number of times over the course of my life. Sometimes it's mixed with a little bit of despair, as in, I'm going to be mowing this grass until Jesus comes. I'm going to be working this job that I hate and despise for this boss that drives me up a wall until Jesus comes, right? Uh, Sometimes it's said like that, but it ought to be an expression that we use with a bit of expectancy, and mixed with hope and the reality that we are longing for His appearing. It ought to be an expression that reminds us that this life, for all of its difficulties and all of its pain, all of the struggles that we experience, are one very important thing. Temporary. They are temporary. Because there is a day coming when Jesus is returning. And all of the, the both joys of this life, as well as the trials of this life, all of the responsibilities of this life, all of the privileges of this life, none of them are permanent. We don't know when the day is that Jesus will return for His church, but we do know that He is coming. And so today... We want to look at another section of Jesus' encouraging words to his disciples where he is telling them and telling us too how to live until that glorious day when he comes, until he comes. And so we want to learn from Jesus uh, together. Uh, Let's read part of the text here and then um, then I'm going to pray as we open God's word. Uh, Beginning verse... Uh, 15 Jesus says this if you love me you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you let's pray father we come to you again asking that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive your word. Help us to understand and to take it into our hearts and to obey it by the Spirit's power. My Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a lot of times we wonder what it means to really love Jesus or to love God. In verse 15, Jesus gets it right down to the nub of what it means to love him he says if you love me keep my commandments and so jesus equates the two if you love jesus you obey jesus you keep his commandments obedience and love are inseparable and the reverse is also true that lack of love for jesus is revealed in lack of obedience to what he said fact later he's going to say that explicitly in this same chapter that lack of obedience is due to lack of love 
And we need to make sure that we hear Jesus' words in this verse because it's one of the keys to understanding this whole section of Scripture. And you might be wondering, well, how do I live up to Jesus' commands? I mean, he gives a bunch, and many of them are impossible. Like, how about this one? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, shoot your hand up if that comes perfectly naturally to you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Not me. You know, if he had said... You know, punch your enemies and, uh, you know, hurt those who persecute you. I'm like, I can get on board with that. I know how to do that, right? Uh, But love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. How am I going to do that? How am I going to love those who despise me? How is that going to work? And that's just one. Just one of Jesus' commands. And none of them come natural to us. And... And so Jesus doesn't leave us to wonder. It's beautiful. Look at the text. It says, how are you going to do this? I will ask the Father, and he will give you, highlight this word, another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. That's such a beautiful word, that word helper. Because guess what I'm going to need if I'm going to love Jesus and obey what he says? I'm going to need help. I'm going to need a lot of help, amen? Because there is nothing in me naturally that, that bends me toward doing God's will. I'm going to need someone to come into my life and give me a new heart and a new ability to obey what Jesus commands. And that's exactly what Jesus promises. And he says, in fact, I'm going to give you another helper who's going to be with you forever. Why is he saying that? Because he's saying, look, I'm, he's been telling them, look, I'm going away. I'm going back to the Father. But then he's saying, but while I'm gone, I'm going to give you another helper. And he's going to be with you forever. He's never going to go away. And the word another is really important. You don't really pick it up in the English translation there. But the word another is a very special word. In Greek, and it means another of the same kind. Another of the same kind as what? Another of the same kind as Jesus Himself. In other words, the helper that we are promised is God, just like Jesus is. And He says, He will be with you, and He will be in you. The world can't receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. In other words, you have to be a follower of Jesus to receive the Spirit. But you know him because he dwells with you. How does he dwell with you? Oh, he's dwelling with them right that very moment in the presence of Jesus. This is, again, this is is some deep water theology here, okay? You've got to hang with me for a minute. Where he's talking about the mutual indwelling of the persons of God where the Father and the Spirit and the Son all mutually indwell each other without losing the distinction of the persons that, there, that exist in the one being who is God. And, yet, and so the Father 
is with the Son, and the Son is with the Father, and the Spirit is with the Father and the Son, but they're not all interchangeable. They're distinct, but there is one God who eternally exists in three mutually indwelling persons. And do I understand that? No. But Jesus makes it clear that that is the reality of who God is. And so when Jesus is there, who else is there? The Spirit is there with them as well. Later, he's going to explain to them that, that when you put your trust in Jesus, that the same relationship that is present within God is something that you get brought into as a believer. That you experience that mutually indwelling relationship with God that they enjoy as a member of and united to God himself. If that doesn't blow your mind, you haven't enough coffee yet, okay? Because this is amazing, amazing truth that he is laying out here. And he's talking about there's going to come a day when the Spirit is not just going to be with you as I am with you, but he's going to be in you. He's going to indwell you. He's going to take up residence in your life and give you the ability to know and love and obey Jesus and his commands. And we could just stop right there, and we, maybe we should, because that is an amazing, amazing truth. We're going to go on. I will not leave you as orphans, he says, verse 18. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now let me break this down in case you got confused just even in the reading of that text. Verses 18 to 20, what Jesus is doing is giving them additional reassurance that his promises are trustworthy. Because Jesus is talking to them about some things that they have not experienced and they don't have any frame of reference for. And he is giving them reassurance that his promises can be trusted. And he says, look, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He's telling them, in other words, that his promise to them about the coming of the Spirit isn't idle. And that in, in verse 19, he's talking about his death and his resurrection. Hundreds and hundreds of Christians will see Jesus raised from the dead and know that his promises about being raised from the dead are true. But not very many of his opponents actually saw him resurrected. And so he's, they're going to see him but his opponents won't. And in verse 20, Jesus tells them that on the day that they see him raised from the dead, they'll have confidence that his word is true, that he is the Son of God, and that he has been and continues in union with the Father from eternity past on into eternity future. That's some big stuff. 
But what he's trying to lay out for them is the reality that he is not just some crazy revolutionary bloviating about theological things that they don't understand. He's saying, no, these promises that I'm making you are real and true and can be trusted and they'll be proven true. How do you know? Well, let me tell you this, okay? Very simple. I've said this a number of times. I don't know how many. But, but here's the reality. If a man walks around the earth doing various miracles and all the while goes around claiming to be God and then is put to death by people who knew how to do it. And then you see that same guy raised from the dead. Then all of a sudden, his promises about being the Son of God fit into that, right? If a man goes around claiming to be God and, and does none of those things, don't believe him. But if a man claims to be God, and is killed and raised from the dead, you better take notes. Because this man has some unique things about him that give credence to his claim. Amen? And Jesus is saying, when you see this happen, when you see this happen, remember what I told you. Because all the promises that I've given you are true, and they're true on the day that I'm raised from the dead. The disciples, again, the point of all this is reassurance. The disciples need to know that they are not fools who followed a madman or a revolutionary who's deluded. His promise of the Spirit can be relied on. So again, he repeats his word that those who love him obey him. And then he carries it further to reassure them and to reassure, reassure us that his love is going to be reciprocated. In other words, that it's not simply about our love for Jesus, it's about His love for us. And it's going to be returned by both the Father and by Jesus Himself. Look at what the text says. Verse, um, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him you see that in other words it's not just about whether or not we love jesus and demonstrate it in our obedience it's about if we do that our love is reciprocated by the father and the son and they come and make their home with us in other words jesus is making it clear that the big issue is the way that Jesus and His Father will be revealed. Those who obey and love Jesus out of love for Jesus will see Him. And He and the Father will come into their lives and make their home there. Verse 24 is a repetition of Jesus' statement. How do you know if you love Jesus? Very simple. Do you obey His commands? Do you obey His commands? If you don't obey Him, then one of two things is true. You either don't love Him, 
or you love him significantly less than whatever you are sacrificing him for. Does that make sense? I think that's true. That if somebody, as an example, says they love you, but they never want any time with you, but maybe not that they don't love you, it's just that they love you less than whatever else they're giving you up for, right? And the same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus. If we love Jesus, we do what he commands. Why? Because part of being in a relationship with Jesus, when he comes into your life, you want to do what he commands because he is giving you a new life that you've never experienced before, and it's better than what you traded in. No one, no one who trades in a tricycle on a Rolls Royce wants the trike back. Amen? No one wants that. And, and so Jesus is saying, if you love me, you keep my commandments. If you don't love me, then you don't keep my words. If you don't keep his words, it's because you love yourself and your sin more than you love Jesus. On top of that, verse 24, if you look at it, concludes with Jesus' statement that what he has just said isn't his own invention. That he is speaking the Father's words to them and to us. If you look carefully at this text up to this point, here's what we've seen. That until Jesus comes, that the Spirit is going to come and help us to obey Jesus' commands and to experience God's love. The Father and the Son will dwell with us as the Spirit comes to indwell us. And this will happen to us if we love Jesus and demonstrate it in our obedience to Him. Aren't those some good promises? Some good promises. Do you understand what Jesus is offering? He's offering you can experience union with God. You can have God Himself take up residence in your life and change you from the inside out. You can have God Himself come and dwell in your heart and change you from the inside out. That's what He's offering. If you follow Jesus, if you put your trust in Him, and if you do, it'll turn into love for Him, which will result in obedience to Him. We get even more promises in the last few verses here. Of this chapter. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, 
but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now, let me just explain what's going on here. These verses, verses 25 to 30, are Jesus' recap of what he's just been teaching them. And here's what we need to understand. That though Jesus is giving them all this teaching while he is still there, he knows his disciples don't get it yet. They don't understand all that's going on. In fact, very few of them, in fact, none of them are looking for Jesus' resurrection. On the third day, they're not hanging out at the tomb, you know, standing opposite the soldiers going, well, let's see, what counts as mourning, right? They're not doing that. You know, and the soldiers aren't, aren't there going, hey, what are you guys doing here? Oh, just a minute, you'll see, right? They, they don't know. They don't get it. They don't understand what's going on. And so Jesus says, look, before my death and resurrection, there are a lot of things that, that I'm saying to you that aren't going to quite make sense to you. But the Holy Spirit is coming, and when he comes, he's going to help you understand all these things. By the way, that is still a role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. He helps us to understand and to obey and to apply God's Word to our lives. And as a result, just like Jesus' first disciples, we can have His peace on a permanent basis. Jesus says, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, I'm not giving you as the world gives, I'm giving it to you as a permanent possession. And we can, like they did, rejoice that Jesus is going away to the Father because when He goes, He's not abandoning us. What He's doing is confirming His promise that the Father will send the Spirit to help us and giving us confidence in His promise that He is coming back for us. And he's telling all of them, and he's telling us in advance of when it happens, that when we see the crucifixion and resurrection happen, that we believe in him and recognize him as Lord and as God, just like his first disciples did. And the point is this. Verse 30 and 31. Satan's about to have a temporary victory. He's going to put the Son of God, to death on a cross. And it's going to look like all that God was doing in the person of Jesus came to an ignominious end. That Jesus' ministry crashed and burned at the end. Is what it's going to look like. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm telling you all this in advance so that when you see this happen, you'll understand it's all part of the plan. And I have to die for sin, and I have to be raised from the dead to give you new life, and then I have to go away so that the Spirit can come and dwell within you and, make, and give you union with God until the day I come back. And so when you see these things happen, understand that they are confirmation of my promise to come and get you. That just as God confirmed His promises uh, in the Old Testament, in the coming of Jesus, Jesus says, my death and resurrection is the confirmation of these promises that I'm coming back. And when you see them happen, you'll know that my word is trustworthy and true and can be relied on for your life. Now, there's a lot of things I could 
spend time on in this passage, but I just want to highlight three things by way of application for us. First, first thing, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Let me ask the question another way, since Jesus ties obedience and love together. Do you obey Jesus? One thing Jesus makes clear in this text you get nothing else, get this, that the two are not separable things. In other words, uh, you know, Christianity is not MCL, you know, where you like go through the cafeteria line and you pick a little roast beef here and a little mashed potatoes here. Ooh, fried chicken, I'd like some of that, right? That's not how it works. When, when you decide that you're going to follow Jesus, you follow Him all the way in everything He says. And that if you don't, you don't love Him in the way that He wants. It doesn't work like that. Jesus is the supreme love of your life or He is not part of it. Jesus will not be second place. If you love Jesus, you obey Jesus. And by the way, we don't obey out of obligation, right? We don't obey because we're like, well, if I don't, Jesus is going to whack me. If I don't obey, he's going to stomp on me. I'm going to get like a lightning bolt that comes down and, and you know, fries me or something. That's not why we obey. We don't obey out of fear. We obey out of love. We obey out of genuine affection for the person who has changed our life. Let me give you just a, a, a real quick illustration, right? I do a lot of dishes at my house. A lot of dishes at my house. I did dishes yesterday. Uh, it is not my favorite thing. All right? I don't, I don't get up in the morning and think to myself, you know, I hope there's like some greasy pots I get to scrub. <laughs> right because that would just make everything in today a whole lot better right you know why i do it because having a clean having clean dishes and all the pots scrubbed and put away speaks love to my wife i don't do it because if i if if i don't she'll like shave off one of my eyebrows while i sleep right that's not what will happen okay <laughs> Some of you women, don't take that as a suggestion, right? <laughs> okay. I do it out of love for her, right? And our relationship with Jesus works the same way. That out of love for Jesus, we want to do what pleases Him. Right? We want to do what pleases Him. Not because we have to, but because we get to. We want to do what pleases Him. Second thing, if your love for Jesus has fallen short recently, let me give you two encouragements. First of all, it might be that your love for Jesus is not manifested in obedience because you don't really know Jesus yet. And so you aren't getting help in obeying Him because you don't have the helper, the Holy Spirit present in your life. And if that describes you today, let me give you this encouragement. Today could be the day that he comes in. Today could be that day. 
All you have to do is to put your trust in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give you new life. And if you do that, then the Holy Spirit will come. Then the, whole, the Father and the Son will make their home with you alongside the Holy Spirit and change you from the inside out. If, on the other hand, you really do know Jesus in a genuine way, then let me give you this encouragement. You can be forgiven and start again and renew your love for Christ and the Spirit's work within you. Remember Psalm 32? When I kept silent about my sin, your hand was heavy upon me, and my bones wasted away, and my strength was sapped as by the heat of summer. Right? And we feel sometimes the weight of the Spirit of God's conviction in our life because we know that we're doing things that are not pleasing to our Father. And if you're feeling that today, here's the encouragement from God's Word. That grace has already been provided for your forgiveness. And what you need to do is what Hebrews says to do, come boldly before the throne of grace and receive mercy. Not judgment, mercy, forgiveness, restoration of your relationship with God and a renewed ability for Christ's power to be at work in your life. One last thing. I want to just put a bell on, on this, in this text, okay? That you and I can experience union with God and know His love. This section of this chapter contains some of the greatest truth you can imagine. It has deeper theology than I have any capacity to explain. Every religion, every religious system in the world boils down to this. How do I come into union with God? How do I come into union with God? How do I experience God's power at work in my life. And so, you know, you've got religions out there that say, well, you just need to sit on top of a mountain somewhere. You need to, you know, sit in the lotus position and put your elbows on your knees and put your fingers together like this so you complete the power loop and you need to hum a little mantra to connect you to the energy of the universe. Om. Right? And, and you can make your soul hum with the energy that, that exists in creation. And in that way, you will experience union with the divine. And, and by the way, the divine being and the creation are the same thing. And you just need to see that. Free your mind. Watch the Matrix, right? Um, free your mind and experience union with reality. That's what some people say. Some people say, no, you need to go through a series of rituals. And if you do this ritual and this ritual and this ritual and this ritual, well, then finally you'll be acceptable to God. And then maybe, if you're lucky, you'll experience His presence. What does Jesus say? He says, believe in me. And the Spirit will come, and the Father and the Son will come into your life and make their home 
with you. It's not what you do, it's what they do because they love you. Not what you earn, but what they give freely. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ. I, I'm... I'm sure I don't completely understand everything that the Scripture is talking about when it talks about union with God, when it talks about being partakers of the divine nature, as Peter does, when it talks about the Spirit of God actually dwelling with us. I've experienced it, but I don't know if I can fully explain it. But that's what is offered to us. Union with God. That in some way, He brings us into the triune relationship of the living God and we become participants in God's own life and nature. And thinking about that just blows my mind, but that is what Jesus is doing. He is bringing us directly into fellowship with the persons of the triune being who made all things and made you and I. And it is grand and it is glorious. It is infinitely beyond my capacity to understand or explain. But that is what we are offered when we put our trust in Jesus. And it is an amazing thing. Something to celebrate. And we're going to take the opportunity here in just a second to celebrate the fact that new life has come to some of our uh, brothers and sisters. So uh, let me pray and then we'll celebrate together. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the fact that Jesus has come. That He does give new life. That He uh, brings us into fellowship with You, with the Father, uh, and uh, with Him, the Son, uh, by Your Holy Spirit's power. And we are made different and changed forever and ever uh, by Your grace and mercy. Father, we pray as we celebrate the new life you've given to these, our brothers and sisters, that uh, you would be glorified and honored uh, by our celebration. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you're going to be baptized this morning, if you would come join me up front.